0: Welcome to the Rural Insights Podcast, where we explore rural actions and policies that impact Michigan's Upper Peninsula and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute, working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you'd like to learn more about Rural Insights, visit RuralInsights.org. Now, here's your host, David Haynes.
1: Well, hello everybody. Welcome to this edition of Rural Insights podcast and video. And this uh, week we're pleased to have David John with us. And David is the CEO of War Memorial Hospital in Chippewa County and is a uh, a, uh, uh, national expert on rural health issues. Uh, And uh, we'll be talking to him about that. But you know, Chippewa County and Sioux St. Maria are our second largest county and city in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, they serve an amazing amount of people, uh, and uh, they're an important part of the Upper Peninsula in healthcare. So, David, let me just ask you the broad general question. What's going on over at War Memorial and the Eastern UP with healthcare these days?
2: Well, uh, there's, there's lots of things going on. Uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll save the COVID information for a little bit, but uh, um, you know, we're, we're seeing, uh, um, you know, some interesting dynamics here. Uh, some of the positives are that I think the COVID pandemic has uh, improved our ability to recruit physicians to rural areas because some want to get out of the hot spots And so we've seen a, pretty good uh, year as far as physician recruitment and bringing in new, new specialists. So that's a, that's a positive to it. Um, The negative to it is that uh, there's a lot of people who are from the local area that may not have a whole lot of ties. Maybe they just got out of uh, Lake State's nursing program and uh, had two or three or four years experience here and they don't have kids, they don't have a husband yet, and uh, they're deciding to leave us and and go travel um, and and uh, earn earn a bunch of money as a travel nurse, and uh, that's really impacting our our ability to staff. I think right now we probably have twenty five percent of our positions are open, which is something that probably every industry in the in the UP can say. Um, and currently, we have seventeen travelers that we've hired um, from other places to come in and help us help us staff. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. We're, uh, we're getting more physicians in. That means there's more patients that can stay in the local hospital, but if we don't have enough staff to, uh, staff the beds, then it, then it, it gets interesting. And this week, I, for some reason, you know, COVID, COVID is hitting, uh, more here now, but uh, our hospital has no COVID patients right now, but we're, we're full. And I know like yesterday, uh, you know, we tried to transfer uh, some patients to McLaren and Petoskey, to Munson and in uh, Traverse City and to Marquette, um, UP Health System in Marquette, and they were all full as well. So we had like seven patients that needed to be admitted that stayed overnight in our ER because there was no hospital that had a bed, and, and this is without a COVID surge.
1: So when you say twenty five percent of your positions, other than nurses and doctors, what kind of positions are we talking about?
2: Just about everywhere: phlebotomists, uh, you know, uh, medical assistants in the clinics, uh, you know, um, environmental services staff, you know, housekeeping. Food nutrition is a is a big one. You know, we're we're struggling to be able to uh, you know keep our cafeteria open for our employees. Uh, sometimes we have to. We have to shut it down because there's not enough staff, and we have to take care of the patients and the residents first. But just about at every every level, um, there's there's openings, and you know we're we're trying as best we can to find innovative ways to try to attract more people here. Be flexible with uh, people because we know, you know, the uh, the younger people that have family obligations maybe can't work a full time job. They they need child care. Uh, some of the retirees. Who maybe still want to work a day a week or so, maybe two days a week. Uh, you know, how, how do we fit them into the picture as well? And you know, how do we, you know, back in the day it was always okay. in, in order to work, uh, in order to get health insurance, you got to work full time. Um, well, you know, we're we're revisiting that and, and saying, well, maybe if you work, you know, sixty percent of the time, you know, uh, you can get health insurance because uh, especially some people that want to retire before they get on Medicare. Um, they may be willing to work three days a week instead of five if they get health insurance.
1: Do you do you draw your nurses from all around the country or do you recruit at the universities? What's your? Um,
2: yeah, Lake, Lake State, I would say probably 80% of our nurses come from Lake Superior States program. And, you know, we've been fortunate to have that great partnership sure. for so many years. We do get some from uh, Sioux, Ontario, um, and, uh, you know, that took a little bit of a hit when the pandemic started because, uh, yeah. you know, the Sioux, Sioux area hospital told their nurses, they had to choose either work on one side or the other, they couldn't work on both sides. And, uh, so there was about 12 nurses that decided to stay over in, in Canada. Um, they've changed that now, as long as you're fully vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, you can work on both sides. So we're getting some of those back, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, uh, to find nurses. And, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, hospitals are our own worst enemy sometime because when we, when we need staff, we're, we're willing to shell out the big bucks to get staff, but then that kind of cannibalizes the other places where these nurses are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I said, maybe, maybe the fix would be okay. at Every hospital in the country Says so no more travel nurses, and all the nurses have to go back home to where, where yeah, they live. So. And uh, maybe we'll solve our staffing issue, but that that won't solve it because there, we we need to have more nurses in the pipeline, um, just like more physicians. And I, it's a tough job, and I think you know we're losing uh, we're losing nurses who have been in the business for many years because they see what happened during COVID and. Uh, you know, there, there, there's high anxiety, there's high stress, there's high burnout because we're asking them to work extra shifts. Um, you know, it, it's just not a good good situation. And I, I think that could be echoed probably at every hospital in the UP.
1: So when we interviewed Brian Chapman, the city manager of the Sioux, he was talking to us about the uh, one of the problems with the recruiting, they're, they're having uh, positions open and trying to recruit and issues is housing within Sault Ste. Marie. Does that impact you as well? Uh, is the availability of housing and pricing? Um,
2: the availability for sure um, because we, we just had somebody who was uh, going to come up and I think they were an advanced practitioner and they couldn't find a house. Um, and so they said, well, we're, we're gonna accept this other job we were offered uh, where we can find housing and you know we were able to uh, you know go and, and, and find an apartment where we said, well, we can get this for you know six months and by that time you, you know you should be able to find a house uh, But just yesterday my CFO came and said, hey, I found, I found a couple apartments that are open right now that, that we could put our name on and, and rent for the next year even though we don't have anybody to live in them right now, should I do that? And I said, yes, because we need, we need a little bit of a cushion flexibility um, for people coming in the area that can't find, find a house. But that, that's definitely a, a, a problem here now. And I I guess to some degree, it's, it's a good problem because housing values are going up and everything's rented and everything's bought and whatever. And part of that probably has to do with the, with the locks project and, uh, that, that's only going to get uh, more stressful because if, if it all gets funded and it's a seven-year project, that's going to bring a lot more people into Sault Ste. Marie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a growing place. So, David, we've, we've, you and I have talked about this before. There's been stories about you affiliating with the University of Michigan uh, or other people. Uh, you, you're, you're, in a, you're on the I-75 corridor. U of M is already, I think, in Alpena and Midland. Uh, is that in the works for you all at War Memorial or is that still a discussion item for the future? Well, well, the process
2: started a few years ago. Um, you know, we, uh, we had a couple um, not so good financial years. Part of it was implementing a new electronic health record and uh, the cost of that. And so we started looking for a partner and we sent out RFP and I think six different uh, health systems within Michigan uh, applied a couple of them once they learned more about it just said we're too far away uh, we don't think we can provide value to you being that far away um, and then we narrowed it down to uh, to a couple we, we visited we met with people and uh, then we narrowed it down to one and that was mid-Michigan health um, out of Midland who has an affiliation with University of Michigan um, they have an agreement and so you know, they, uh, we're still, you know, we're right now we're in the due diligence process. And I tell people, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, that, that period between when you get engaged and when you get married and you, you find out a lot more information about, uh, the person you're going to marry. And, uh, you know, probably 90% of the time the marriage happens, but there's 10% of the time that something happens during that, uh, that period that, that, that isn't going to work out and, you know, we're, we're, we're working through those things right now. And, uh, you know, if, if all those, um, items are, are satisfactory, then, uh, um, you know, we would, we would sit down and, and negotiate a definitive agreement, which would actually put everything we're talking about in, in writing. So, uh, you know, well, you, would, what,
1: you would have a formal affiliation with Midland and the U of M.
2: Right. Yeah. We, you know, it's, it's, Truly, if it happened, it will be with Mid Michigan Health out of Midland um, and be part of their system, which includes uh, they have the hospital in Alpena, West Branch, uh, um, Gratiot County. Um, okay. I think Clare. Um, they they have quite a few of them, uh, and, and uh, if it worked out, we'd be part of that. And then they they in turn have an agreement with the University of Michigan, so that they're they. They basically on their signage and whatever, you know, have the block M and uh, you know, there's some perks, perks right. you get as being part of that system as far as uh, transfers of tertiary and quaternary care patients, that sort of thing.
1: So would you have the block M on on your buildings? If uh, you
2: from what I gather, yes, we
1: would. So the next time I interview you might be wearing maize and blue.
2: Boy, <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be tough because I'm a Spartan fan, but <laughs> I, hey, know I know I know, a, I know a lot of our uh, a lot of our physicians graduated from either uh, the MSU College of Medicine or the College of Human Medicine, and and they said um, we're we're okay with this as long as uh, <laughs> I don't have to wear maize and
1: blue. Maize and blue, yeah, I can go in the side door or something. Yeah, that's it. So, um, how far in the future do you think this is? A year, two years, months? Is it? I would think if everything went well. Um,
2: you know, it could, uh, could happen between January of next year to June of next year, something like that. You know, from our end, uh, you know, our financial situation is, is really robust right now. I mean, you know, we, even though we shut down last year for two and a half months, um, it was one of the better years we ever had, you know, so the question becomes now, you know, what are the benefits you get other than the financial that are going to impact the community? And that's, that's all part of that negotiating the definitive agreement. I mean, we think we we want all this grandiose stuff, and you know what? What are we going to be able to get to uh, um, to help uh, bring services, retain services, in, in our local community?
1: So, it it as you look out at at healthcare in the eastern UP for the next three years, what are the, obviously this new affiliation is an opportunity. What are the challenges, the threats to? Rural healthcare in the eastern UP. What, what what's out there that keeps you up at night?
2: Well, certainly the staffing situation is is the biggest issue right now. And and uh, you know as as staffing gets tighter and tighter, you need to uh, increase your wages and benefits to be competitive with those who uh, um, who you're competing with. And you know when you do that, then your expenses go up and. You know, um, I'm sure the reimbursement isn't going to go up as much or as fast as the expenses. So, you know, the Medicare, Medicaid, uh, you know, Blue Cross, uh, you know, they, they, they have a, a, a financial obligation they have to meet too, and they're just not going to throw, throw money at us. So, you know, our, our thing is we, we want to retain as many services as we can in the local community so people don't have to travel. Um, but if push comes to shove, you know, what specialty services that we're doing now might have to be discontinued because uh, we can't afford to do them anymore, Um, and and so that's that's a concern, Um, you know, and and keeping up with technology and making sure, you know, we have the most up-to-date technology. It's not not easy. We just... uh, we just purchased another robot for, for surgery at da Vinci And, you know, it, those things are really expensive, but if we're ever going to recruit new physicians to our area for general surgery, OBGYN, urology, any of those specialties, they're all being trained on the robot. I, I don't know that, uh, you know, in the future that the new grads coming out, will be able to do surgery without the robot. And mm-hmm. so what does that mean for small rural communities you know that can't afford a million or a 2 million or a 3 million dollar robot and you know i look at it and i worry that it's going to be more travel you know unless uh, you know unless we get to a point where like they do in the military the surgeons on the uh, that do uh, do things on the battlefield aren't on the battlefield they're off on a navy ship somewhere and they're controlling that robot remotely and, you know, that would be a, a nice thing for rural areas. A uh, Telemedicine is great. I mean, you know, even in the Eastern UP, you know, people on Drummond Island have to jump on a ferry and, and drive an hour to, to get to War Memorial or an hour to get to Mackinac Straits Hospital. And, you know, if we can provide them service via telemedicine and insurance companies are willing to pay for that, it's going to be much more efficient for everybody. But I also know that that telemedicine piece brings in competition because, if you can do telemedicine from Sault Ste. Marie to Drummond Island, you can do telemedicine from Detroit to Drummond Island, or California to Drummond Island, or Florida to Drummond Island, and what what are the what part of the market is going to be taken away by that, which is then not there to support our rural hospitals?
1: So as somebody who's who is been involved in discussions of national rural health care and, and solutions, what are what things could our listeners should they know about nationally rural healthcare? is there everyone going through the same thing we are uh, are there solutions out there that you have found or besides the one you've already talked about which are really creative but is this a uh, is everybody in rural areas having the same kinds of issues or are there different issues
2: no i, I think they're the same issues uh, in, in the entire country i, I mean one you know we're fortunate here that we haven't had a lot of rural hospitals close, um, but there are some areas of the country that have had a lot of rural hospitals close. But at the same time, you know, back back in the day when when all these rural, uh, rural communities were able to get hospitals was back in the day of Burton and the money that uh, you could get from the federal government to uh, build a new hospital. And, you know, that was in the sixties and in the seventies and, the and, you know, there isn't that money around anymore. And with the ratcheting down of reimbursement rates and, and what we have to pay to, to attract physicians and others here in, um, in with the lower volumes, we, we just can't make that up. Um, just based on volume, like they can in urban areas, and I, I said, you know, you you need to uh, you need to look at rural, and you need, you know, access. I think every American should have access to healthcare. But there's going to be a point in time where, what does access mean? Does it mean access to primary care, or does it mean access to specialty care? And are people in rural hospitals or rural communities going to have to drive? Um, distances for that specialty care, which which you know is going to put a burden on on the the uh, community, because there's some that uh, probably don't mind driving, but there's others that don't have the resources to drive. And I can tell you this, you know, in rural communities, the local businesses should be locked in with the hospital because every time somebody drives to another town to get their healthcare services. Um, they're going to the big uh, box stores and uh, buying things down there that take away from the mom-and-pop shops in the local community, and they're spending, you know, available resources um, away from their local community, which then also impacts local businesses.
1: Yeah, it's the, the economists are calling that in earlier the Costco effect. You know, people can go. Um, David, what... Uh, Anything else you'd like to tell us about War Memorial or healthcare or things you're doing before we close or anything?
2: Well, we didn't, didn't, didn't touch much on, uh, COVID, you know, COVID. and, uh, um, you know, we, we are seeing increases uh, as, as every place in the UP is, uh, we're not seeing increases in the number of people we've had to admit because, uh, you know, we don't have anybody admitted right now, but we're seeing, um, increases and, uh, you know the the thing the thing over here, which which is interesting because we're so so uh, um, you know joined at the hip with Canada, is that you know when the Canadian government opened uh, opened the border for Americans to go over to Canada as long as they had a negative COVID test and were vaccinated, all of a sudden we're getting. Um, an influx of people who want a COVID test that don't necessarily have any symptoms. They just want to travel. Well, we only have so many, so many people that can run those tests and they want a PCR test, which is a test that takes 15 minutes each to run. You can't batch them or whatever. And so we're getting people that are getting angry that we aren't able to, to offer those tests. But again, that we're not in the business of doing testing for travel. So that's, that's a, that's a concern. And, uh, you know, my, my biggest concern for rural, and this would take into account all the UP, is, uh, you know, rural America has the lowest uh, vaccination rates of, of anywhere. And uh, we also have the least amount of healthcare resources. So if this Delta variant gets going and, and it's really impactful to those that aren't, aren't vaccinated, are local hospitals in the UP going to keep be able to keep up with it?
1: What's your vaccination rate in, in
2: over
1: in Chippewa? In uh, in Chippewa County, we have
2: 51.3% of, of our population fully vaccinated. And, and in the 12 to 19 category, only 28%. I know we're doing much better in the 65 and over category. I think we're over 75%. And we're doing pretty good with our employees. I think we're close to 80%, which is one of the higher numbers uh, but, you know, now we're now we're wrapping up for, uh, you know, the possibility that in September here, um, they're going to recommend third doses, and, third doses and a booster shot. And, uh, you know, we we we, we want to make sure our employees who want that third shot get it. Um, but we spent we we joined a group of uh, the health department, the, the Lake State University, the Sioux Tribe, the Bay Mills Tribe, um, the uh, clinic out in Pickford we all meet once a week and discuss the vaccine. We planned uh, mass vaccination clinics at the start where we used Lake Superior State's uh, Sisler Center and did, I think, over 1,000 one day and seven or 800 another day. And, you know, that took a lot of resources, but that was in the crisis. And now for these third doses, I don't know that we have the, the resources to do that. And, you know, is there enough um, of the vaccine available, which I hear there is, that they could get their vaccine from their local uh, primary care physician, um, you know, the health department, uh, the pharmacies that are doing the vaccine. We're, we're hoping the, the people in the community can get those third doses through there. But, uh, you know, it's obvious, it's obvious to us and I'm, I'm, I'm not political at all. I just look at the data and it's obvious that people that are vaccinated have a, a, a much less likely chance of being admitted to a hospital and a much less likely chance of dying from the, from the virus. And, you know, uh, um, and I think it was the Michigan State uh, um, College of Medicine uh, um, Dean that I, I read a thing the other day. Hey, you know, we're, we want to try to get more people vaccinated, but for the people that don't want to get the vac- vaccine, then we need to keep them as, fi- as safe as possible. Um, so that they don't overwhelm the healthcare system, the issue is that the people that don't want to get the vaccine are also the people that don't want to wear masks. Yeah. Um, so it's a double whammy on those people, and that's their right. They they should have that right. But uh, you know, we also need to protect the resources to take care of the the people that are having heart attacks, or the people that uh, need the cancer surgery, or have pneumonia, or whatever, because they're they're just as important. Um, in the mix as a person with COVID. And if you have overrun by COVID, how are you going to keep care or take care of the other people?
1: Well, David, thank you. Um, Our, our listeners and our readers, uh, we always appreciate you doing this. Your articles, our our readers uh, have really enjoyed. And uh, so today we have been happy and pleased that we got to talk to David John, the CEO of Chippewa County War Memorial Hospital. So David, thank you for your time and uh, best of luck. And as they say, mask up. Thanks, David. (laughs) See you, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the Rural Insights Podcast. Brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute, working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you enjoy our content, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting RuralInsights.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.